All right, welcome back to our six-part mini-series on God and government. I am Pastor Joel Webin, your host with Right Response Ministries, um, and I am having a discussion in each of these episodes with Pastor Toby Sumter. This is our fifth episode, and so in this episode, we're dealing with uh, the government of the state. We're dealing with civil government. What is their God-assigned jurisdiction, their responsibility, their rights and privileges? Um, How can we tell when there's tyranny within the state, and how do we as Christians Resist tyranny in biblical ways. Applying God's word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, here we are coming back. This is now episode five of Toby's 50-question-long catechism on the governments. And so there's uh, six episodes that we're doing. This is on Theology Applied with Right Response Ministries. The first episode is an introduction. The sixth episode, the last one, is a conclusion, final thoughts. The four in between, uh, episode two, three, four, and five, is self-government is number two. Um, uh, Family government is number three. Um, And then we have number four is church government. And this is episode number five, civil government. We're going to be talking about the government of the state. Let's begin by just doing the questions and the answers. Toby, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you go ahead and start with question number 30? You bet. I just want to point out that 50 questions is actually kind of short for Reformation catechisms. So, yeah. And they, they went into like hundreds of questions usually. So I'm, I'm just, just want to point that out. Very for, brief. For all the Baptists out there. Familiar <laughs> with these catechisms. All right. Civil government. Question 30. What is the sphere and assignment given by God to the civil government? The sphere and assignment given by God to civil government is punishing criminals establishing good order and justice in society through equal weights and measures and praising the righteous. Question number 31. Does the Bible require a particular form of civil government? Answer. The Bible allows for some flexibility and freedom in form of government, but it clearly teaches a constitutional and representative form of government governed by scripture, common law, and natural law, prioritizing personal, local, and covenantal relationships and loyalties with multiple checks and balances given the natural tendency of sinful men to abuse power. A Christian civil order requires a limited government. Question 32. How is civil government to be limited? Civil government is to be limited by honoring the assignments given to the governments of the family and the church, not meddling in or taking to itself those assignments, and remaining steadfast in the sphere and assignment given to it by God, punishing criminals and upholding justice. Question number 33. Who are the officers of civil government? Answer. Following the pattern of scripture, the officers in civil government are ordinarily qualified men who are judges, legislators, and executives, beginning with local magistrates in the city gates. Question 34. What are the sanctions granted to the civil government? God has granted the civil magistrate the sword with which to execute God's vengeance on criminals. The basic principle is the lex talionis, eye for eye, which requires strict punitive or retributive justice, and biblical restitution in cases of theft, property damage, or divorce, but may also include stripes, banishment, exile, or the death penalty. Incarceration is not an ordinary tool given to civil government. Question number 35. What is the difference between a sin and a crime? Answer. Not all sins are crimes, but all crimes 
if defined by the Bible, are sins. However, sins are the jurisdiction and ministry of individuals, families, and churches. Crimes are the jurisdiction of the civil magistrate and do object and do objective public harm to life, liberty, and property. The Bible identifies crimes as those actions which require restitution or penalty by civil magistrates. For example, in the Bible, drunkenness and ethnic animosity are sins but not crimes, while adultery is a sin and a crime. 36. Are the civil laws of ancient Israel binding on all civil governments for all time? No. The specific laws of ancient Israel have expired with that nation-state. However, those laws were based on the general equity of moral justice based on the eternal character of God. Since that eternal character cannot change, those common law principles are still binding on all nations for all time. Question number 37. What does natural law teach and require? Natural law is the revelation of the eternal character and attributes of the triune God found in all of his creation, including his image found in all human beings in their conscience, customs, creativity, and cultures. And it teaches and requires all men to acknowledge him as creator and praise and obey him in all things. Because of sin, natural law must be interpreted and checked by scripture. 38. What is the difference between preventative and punitive justice? Preventative justice is the attempt by humanists to prevent crimes by limiting liberty through endless regulations, fines, and inspections, whereas biblical punitive justice leaves men free and only punishes where actual crimes have occurred. Question number 39. What is necessary for a civil magistrate to administer just punishment? Answer. Civil magistrates administer um, just punishment when crimes are clearly identified in the Bible, confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses, when the accused have the right to answer their accuser and cross-examine any witnesses, and when the penalty is uh, commensurate with the crime. In short, the Bible requires fixed, equal weights and measures, due process, presumption of innocence, and convictions based on established facts, evidence, and testimony. Question 40. Does the Bible require the execution of rebellious children, adulterers, or homosexuals? No. The Bible allows the death penalty as a maximum sentence for such crimes, but only requires execution for intentional murder. Question number 41. Since God establishes the authority of civil magistrates, must they always be obeyed? Answer. No. Jesus says that we must only render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but we must always render unto God what belongs to God. Question 42. But doesn't the Bible also teach that we must sometimes submit to evil rulers? Yes. In matters that do not require us to directly disobey God, we are free to submit to evil rulers in order to be a testimony to them of grace and truth. But we are also free to disobey, especially when God raises up righteous lesser magistrates that we may follow instead. We must never submit when a magistrate commands us to disobey God. Question number 43. What are some examples of righteous civil disobedience? Answer. The Hebrew midwives lied to Pharaoh and refused to kill the Hebrew baby boys. Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press to hide it from the Midianite tax collectors. Daniel and his three friends refused to participate in idolatry in Babylon. Daniel prayed with his windows open in defiance of the king's decree. Paul fled from a warrant that was out for his arrest. 
Question 44. What is the duty of Christians toward civil government? It is the duty of Christians to seek the good of their cities, counties, states, and nations, as well as pray for and honor those who serve in every area of civil government. This good is to be defined by the Bible and not vague humanistic notions or cultural fads. This good is primarily performed through faithful living in the other spheres of government, free associations and markets, as well as direct participation at various levels of civics. Fantastic. All right. I, I think we should start with question number 35 in terms of fleshing it out. What is the difference between a sin and a crime? There's a lot that, that we could, you know, other questions that we'll get to, but you yeah. said not all sins are crimes, but all sins, if defined by the Bible, are sins. However, sins are the jurisdiction and ministry of individuals, families, and churches. Crimes are the jurisdiction of the civil magistrate and do objective public harm to life, liberty, or property. The Bible identifies crimes as those actions which require restitution or penalty by civil magistrates. For example, in the Bible, drunkenness and ethnic animosity are sins, but not crimes, while adultery is a sin and a crime. And so with this, um, how, how, how do we define? How, how, do, how do we do it? Is it all the Ten Commandments? So one of the questions that comes into my mind that I, I get a lot of people asking, you know, is it just the second table of the law, commandments number five through 10, uh, that, that deal with how to love um, our neighbor? Or what, what about... Um, is it a crime to blaspheme? Is it a crime? You know, what about the first four commandments that deal with idolatry? What, what, yeah. what would you say about that? Yeah, um, no, I, I would say that this um, distinction runs through the entirety of the Ten Commandments. Um, the, um, but I think the, the, the key, the crucial thing that we're trying to make sense of is um, uh, why in the, in the Old Testament law were there civil penalties for some things um, and not others? And so um, there were civil penalties uh, for blasphemy. There were civil penalties um, for um, uh, various elements of the first uh, part, the first table of the law. And so I would say that um, it is right and proper, um, as was the case in our nation for a long time, it is right and proper for um, the true religion and the true God to be honored in civil law. Uh, including having several penalties tied to that. So you say that out loud nowadays and everybody, you know, says, ah, you want to be, you know, you want to be a Christian Taliban or something. Um, but first of all, number one, um, you know, there were civil laws on our books protecting the Sabbath day, Sunday, um, all the way up until just, a, you know, five minutes ago. Mm. Like, seriously. And probably in some of your states, it's still there. Just nobody's enforcing it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um I believe almost all 13 of the original states had Sabbath laws. Um, the many of the early colonies had Sabbath laws, and um, you know that's the fourth commandment. And um, and and the notion that um, the the early states would have been okay with public blasphemy against Jesus Christ, um, uh, or some kind of public um, celebration of using God's name in vain, um, is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the, the early um, founders of our country, um, and, and I'll say this, the very same ones who um, uh, uh, adopted the First Amendment, um, uh, nevertheless, at the same time, had um, uh, rules on their books, uh, civil laws on the civil uh, books protecting the first four commandments um, in, this, in the civil sphere. Um, so, um, so I think uh, that's historically been the case. It was the case in uh, English common law, which is what we inherited from Great Britain, um, going all the way back to King Alfred. 
um, King Alfred, uh, was the one who actually took the book of Deuteronomy and um, wrote the first English um, a law code uh, based on the principles he found in um, the, the law of God. Um, so uh, that's th what we're doing is we're saying if God says that sometimes it is right to give a civil penalty to these things, then we're saying, yes, there's a sin there, obviously, to take God's name in vain is a sin before God, but it is also right and proper for a magistrate who is seeking to honor the living God as he should um, to also enforce it um, through civil penalty. Mm -hmm. um, define for us, and so that we can see the distinction, divine law and natural law. Yeah, so th there's, there is not actually a true distinction in the sense that, because um, the same God who created the heavens and the earth is the God who spoke to us um, in his word. Right. Um, so it's the same God and it's the same principles. But, what I would, but natural law is, um, is a parallel, runs parallel to natural revelation. Um, and so those would be principles of justice that we have that we can um, uh, have perceived in um, creation, nature, um, in particularly in human societies, um, in um, uh, in uh, uh, our conscience, and so forth. It actually, in reality, um, mirrors God's sacred law. Mm -hmm. um, but it's um, what we're what we're getting at is the fact that. Um, uh, God's uh, um, nature is not entirely hidden even from pagans, um, and God's um, truth and justice is, is um, still resident in the image of God that's found in all people. And so um, the fact that um, you could learn something from Plato or Aristotle, the fact that you could learn something from um, China or something like that, that tells us something true about the nature of God and the nature of justice, um, or even how to organize um, human society, um, that's what we're getting at. Yep. I, I'm reminded of um, Romans chapter 2, uh, let's see, Romans 2 verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, speaking of divine right. law, special revelation, a Bible, right. for when Gentiles, or in that case the, the Torah, who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, it's one-to-one -one ratio, he doesn't make any right. exception, then right. they prove, essentially is what he's saying, I'm exegeting a little bit here, they are proving by their actions, by doing, by their obedient actions, doing what the law requires, they're proving that they are a law unto themselves, even though right. they do not have the law, again being the Torah, special revelation, divine law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, natural law. So right. natural law stems from natural revelation. So God God is a speaking God. He has spoken through natural revelation and special revelation, right? So Romans 1 uh, is kind of dealing with natural revelation, and Romans 2 is dealing with natural law. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, um, go ahead. Yeah, Romans, I don't know if I would make a hard and fast distinction between those two things, but... Well, it, yeah, yeah, there's overlap, but but just that, just, that when yeah. I think of the quintessential text that the presuppositional, you know, ap apologist is going to be using with Romans 1, you know, that you're yeah. lying, suppressing the truth, these things are clearly dis uh, uh, right. perceived. Yeah. Right, that's sure. like talking about natural, like the the, um, the the attributes of God, the divine attributes of God have been clearly perceived by what He has made. Natural right. revelation, His sure. creation, um, and so we have, you know, God has 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 made the world, and He has made it in such a way, not just that these things have been communicated clearly by God, but they've that. Romans 1 says they've been perceived. So it's not just that God uh, didn't fail to get out the message, um, but also even the, the pagan, the unregenerate person has received the message. So you, a yeah, man, yeah. Were, are without an excuse. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that. Yeah, they're without excuse. So you receive the message. So even if you never had a page of the Bible, special revelation, you have had natural revelation simply by being a human being created in the image of God, living in God's world. So you have, um, God has given the message to all those people and all those people have perceived, received the message, and therefore uh, they cannot claim ignorance. Now, people do become progressively ignorant by sin. That's what sin does is that sin, unrepentant sin, further and further sears the conscience. Uh, but there's a sense, it's, 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 it's funny, people are born rebellious. So ignorance and rebellion, people are born rebellious. That's the doctrine of total depravity. But biblically speaking, they're not born ignorant. Um, so it's, it's not that um, people are born ignorant and because they're ignorant, they choose to become progressively rebellious. Now, people are born rebellious. It's a moral problem, not intellectual, but first and foremost, a moral problem because they're born rebellious. They choose to lie and suppress the truth and deeds of unrighteousness, which makes them progressively um, ignorant. So people become ignorant, but they're actually born seeing. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we still need spiritual eyes. We need regeneration. We need the power of the spirit um, to right. see the beauty of the gospel. Um, but to, you know, but, but we don't, um, in our natural selves, we, we do see the existence of God, the holiness of God, the law of God, natural law. And so you're arguing that the Ten Commandments, uh, which would be the blueprint, right? That, that, that's, that's the general equity that we find in all these civil commandments. But you're arguing that the Ten Commandments, all ten of them, including the first table, the first four, um, we, we can see uh, that, that that is in natural law and can be seen by natural revelation. Would, would you agree yeah. with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think it's, it's Go ahead. I don't think so. But part of the, the check here, of course, is that, um, as I, I said somewhere in here about natural law was that because of sin, um, we can't see it clearly. Um, and as you noted, we already have, we, we have knowledge, but we also have this moral uh, depravity, which we, where it's, we have a, a incentive not to see clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in right, our sin. Right. And so, yes, it absolutely is there. Um, you know, uh, Psalm 19, so the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1 says, out his, speech. His, yeah, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Everyone's without um, excuse. Um, but in our sin, we also uh, suppress that truth and unrighteousness. Um, but I would say, yes, absolutely. The Bible tells us exactly what is resident in creation. And so I would even, you know, even something like the Sabbath command, um, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that's from the from jump so even that is embedded in the natural world um so i I think and out um, of that that being the blueprint that's a that's one of the ten commandments part of the decalogue but out of that comes certain civil laws like like giving in the seventh year right i'm going to double double production in the sixth year but in the seventh year give give the land arrest and that's not just something that god did with israel that we we still have these principles at play with agriculture today that, that the land needs to rest if it's going right. to long term be right. productive and so meaning natural revelation farming the the earth the soil nature what god has made teaches you the principle of a one in seven pattern of rest that's right yeah that's so natural the, revelation exactly and so if we're going to be if we're going to take dominion wisely we have to we have to recognize okay god is teaching israel something there important mm-hmm. um there um i believe that in some of these laws there are what i would call ceremonial aspects that um that t- were tied particularly to the ceremonial system um some of them are entirely ceremonial like the sacrifice of lambs and goats we mm-hmm. know from hebrews that's fulfilled in jesus we don't need to do any more of that but i think um like the sabbath command for example would say i think there were ceremonial elements to it but i also think there were moral and civil elements i think it actually yeah. 
held all three together. Um, and so what we're, our, our job to do is to, to, to see, okay, God created the world this way. So there is a principle here that goes all the way into creation. And as you note, scientists are busy telling us, like, you know, agricultural uh, specialists saying, you can't just keep planting and, 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 and harvesting every year and not give this land any rest. Right. Um, so God was giving true um, uh, moral wisdom about how to care for creation. Right. Um, another, another example of sort of natural law at work um, from history would be um, the whole idea of mixed government. Um, it goes back to um, the Greeks who first started um, positing this idea of what is a sort of a republic, which is what mm. um, which is what America was founded to be. And and some of these early Greek philosophers said, you know, as we look at history, um, the the societies tend to careen uh, into ditches, and they careen into ditches basically in in if you know work with me here in the an analogy into three different ditches. Um, uh, and there's sort of anarchy that breaks out when democracy goes to seed. There's tyranny that breaks out when monarchy goes to seed. And there's oligarchy that breaks out when um, what you might call um, the elites or the hierarchy goes to seed. And so they said largely in most societies you have sort of cultural elites, military generals, CEOs, you know jeff bezos and right. you know cook you know types and then, then you good, have good uh, ones like elon musk elon <laughs> we'll, see, musk. we'll see how it yeah, pans out we'll see how it goes yeah. uh, and then you but then you have you know the the dictator types the monarchs the kings and so on and then you have the people and um uh, and so and or you could call it you know the, the commoners the nobility and and the kings or whatever and so some of these ancient greek philosophers says you know I bet you the best form of government would be some way in which you could have all three of those interests blended together, hmm. um, sort of checking and balancing one another. Hmm. And, um, and so now there's not a verse in the Bible that says that, right? but what we do see in the Bible is I would say a rudimentary form of that, um, where you have, for example, in, in Exodus 18, Jethro telling Moses, um, you, you need to stop trying to, you know, take care of the needs of all these people all by yourself. You should establish rulers of tens, hundreds, um, and thousands, mm -hmm. and and have these representatives be sort of these lesser magistrates. And then, as the need is, you can appeal it to a higher level. Otherwise, you're going to burn out. Um, there's a check and a balance system being worked out there. You also have just the distinction between um, actually the priesthood and civil government being slowly emerging. It's it's a little mixed together, right. but it's not quite as confused as a lot of moderns think. Um, Moses does some things that Aaron doesn't do, and Aaron does some things that Moses doesn't do. And that's actually getting worked out by the time of the kings. Um, where you've got, you know, King Uzziah, for example, thinks he's going to go right into the temple and offer incense, and there's an armed priestly guard that right. ushers him out, and he's struck with leprosy <laughs> for usurping that distinction between what we would now call church and state. Mm -hmm. um, they they are both under God, um, they both answer to God, but they have different jurisdictions. Um, so, but basically, I would say there's rudimentary principles of separation of powers and representative government that you find in Scripture that we need to honor. But I think we can also learn from human experience and the speculation of even Greek pagans who say, you know, this is how you know societies tend to go corrupt. What if we tried to balance out those dis those instincts in a, in what we, they call a mixed or a blended government, which is 
I think what the, our Christian fathers sought to do here in America was say, let's take these biblical principles, let's also take some of this, what we would call, you know, natural law and common law principles and seek to apply them in the best possible way. Yep. Um, well, one further thought on natural law real quick. So uh, natural revelation revealing to us um, God, his existence, his holiness, the things that he requires from us, and that being synonymous, this natural law written on the hearts of men, right? So so the Ten Commandments, I, I've always argued, the Ten Commandments, have not. they did not come into play at Mount Sinai written on tablets of stone, but they were written on hearts that to Adam and Eve were given 11 commandments, 10 commandments and one positive precept, uh, that if Adam had never eaten of the fruit, but he murdered Eve, the covenant of works or covenant of life would have been broken, right? And so, so what you know, we, we have these written on the hearts of men, this natural law that stems from natural revelation. Um, but because man, because of the fall, because of sin, right, the image of God is tarnished, a vestige remains, but the image of God is tarnished. Um, so John chapter three, Jesus is the light of the world, but men loved the darkness because their, their deeds were evil. But I was wondering this, I'm curious your thoughts. I've thought about this a little bit lately, but I haven't read anybody on the subject. So, so, so man, the image of God in man is, is tarnished because of sin. So man's ability to interpret natural revelation is flawed because he has a bias, namely towards sin. But, but could you argue that natural revelation itself, what God has made also, it continues to speak and it continues to speak something true about God, but that at times that it might speak something that is less than true because creation itself is under a curse. That mean, meaning that if I go out into the world and I look at the world, I'm seeing things that are true about God because the world contains still God's good and wonderful design, but the world is also put under a curse that creation itself groans under this yeah. curse of sin. So I feel like there are times where I've, so my, this, this is what I'm getting at. So the person who would say, well, you know, um, uh, well, you do find uh, homosexual uh, relationships in nature sometimes. You know, or, or, uh, you know, a praying mantis, you know, uh, the female praying mantis will eat the head off of its mate after coitus, you know, like, and, and I guess what I want to say in that is say, you know, but but when we look at the millennial kingdom and we look at Isaiah chapter 65, you know, the leopard and, and the lamb lying down together, what I want to say is that, um, that nature speaks something about God, natural revelation, and it is sufficient uh, to condemn, we need special revelation for salvation, but it's sufficient to condemn because it says something true and something so, uh, that is somewhat exhaustive. It doesn't just say one or two things. It says a lot about God that is true, but even not only is man himself under the curse of sin and therefore um, flawed in his ability to interpret natural revelation, but the natural, the nature itself under a curse sometimes says things that... that um, may not be true of God because nature isn't, it's speaking truth about God, but it's not speaking as clearly as it was meant to. What, right. what do you think about that? Is no, that, is that out of bounds? I think it's pretty straightforward, man. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think the, the fact that, you know, God pronounces a curse on the, on the ground, it says it's going to grow thorns and thistles, um, that, uh, uh, that a woman giving birth and, uh, is, is going to experience more pain, mm. um, uh, that there's going to be more enmity and animosity between, um, people and between the earth and people and between God and people, I think all of that together combines to arrive at exactly what you're talking about. I, th- I think it, it does speak truly and it's sufficiently to, to tell us what we, you know, that there is a God and that we need to turn to him. Um, but, uh, but I do believe you're absolutely right. I think it is, it is groaning under the weight, not only of that curse, um, but also groaning under the weight of um, our failure to properly rule it. Right. Our, our, and take dominion of it. And so um, I think creation spoke 
true, truthfully in the beginning, but part of the command to take dominion and make the world fruitful um, also implies the idea that we were actually supposed to make creation in a certain sense speak even more clearly about the glory of God. Like as right. we take dominion and we make the world beautiful and orderly and we care for it, it speaks even more truly. And mm -hmm. so that's why creation groans for the redemption of the sons of men, Romans 8, um, so that it will it will come into its own. It will finally be the glory that it was created to be. So it, I think you're absolutely right. Amen. So creation is not groaning for a mercy killing from the Lord to dissolve like snow in the <laughs> no. literal sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wants, it wants to be made new Amen. and better. Amen. All right, uh, let's, let's do this. We got to do this question. 38, what is the difference between preventative and punitive justice? That's so helpful. Um, can you can you talk about, because I've heard you guys with cross-politic and I've, and I've been on the show a couple of times with you guys, but you especially, at it, you, you know, between you and Chalk Knox and, and Gabe, um, just talking about, yeah, like you're not going around looking for crime. And, and part of what I think in that, and I know, I know I probably got this from you, but um, if it's just punitive and not preventative, right, you don't have the thought police and you don't have the, the ministry of truth that Biden's now setting up, the disinformation council, I mean, just Orwellian stuff. Um, guess what? You don't need as many employees paid by the state. Like one way to get a smaller government is to to stop doing the the um what it, was it called the Tom Cruise movie the Minority Report or something where yeah. they're trying yeah. to you know what I mean like it's yeah. just this yeah. eerie kind of thing and they right. got it wrong the whole purpose of the movie was they they didn't see right. the future correctly go ahead right yeah no that's right that that's like preventative justice gone completely um um you know back crazy but the um uh yeah the so um. The classic law that um, I would point to that's used by um, by many people who want to apply the general equity of the law um, is is the um, the law that required Israel to have a um, a, a banister or, or railing um, around the roofs of their houses, and and so um, but what you find there is so the reason and the reason for that is this is an application of this uh, of the sixth commandment thou shalt not kill, right. uh, which means that you are also required to reasonably seek to protect the lives of those around you, not cause them harm. And in ancient Israel, and still the case to this day in many um, Middle Eastern countries, um, the porch, the balcony, is actually the roof of the house. Most houses are constructed in those countries as a flat roof, and they were required to have a, a railing around the roof. And it says in the law there that if they don't have a railing and someone falls off the roof, they are held liable for that bloodshed. Um, it's a you know a, a form of um, you 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 were not um, protecting the lives of of your neighbors. Um, now um, so um, the principle there would be then so somebody you know initially you know so how does this apply in the modern day? Well, I would say well if you have a flat roof and you and you hang out on your roof, you need to have you need to have a railing, and it's not tyranny for the civil government to say you need to have a a railing around your roof if that's where you hang out in in american culture we don't typically hang out on our roofs but we have balconies and we have swimming pools and mm -hmm. ponds and lakes and places like that or maybe a, you know a, a steep incline and if that's your part if you're part of your property and that's where people hang out um, it is a reasonable requirement of the civil government to say you need to have railings there to protect the lives of people that are hanging out there but the point to our point in terms of preventative and punitive it's it's Reasonable for the, them to require that um, of houses and property. But what you don't find in ancient Israel is um, home uh, building inspectors. Hmm. There's, there's no penalty for not having a fence. There's no penalty for not having a railing. <laughs> they're, they're, they're commanded to, but there's no penalty for it. 
So they may be sinning by not having a railing, um, but they're not committing any crime yet. The crime comes in is if they're having the party and somebody falls off and they are hurt, it does say they're, you'll be held liable for that blood. Mm. Um, if it's, if it's just an injury, then they can be required to do restitution to pay for, um, you know, the medical expenses of the person who was harmed. Um, and if they died, um, presumably, uh, depending on how negligent it was, they could be liable all the way up to death. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, because if it was, if it was massively negligent, then they, they, they basically did murder. Right. Um, so, um, but the point to preventative and punitive is, is that same principles at work. Um, the, um, the Bible establishes this, this general equity, this basic principle that says um, the civil government certainly may have book laws on the books that require reasonable protection of human life, but uh, it does not have the authority to come into my home and see if I've done it. Mm. It only has authority to do that if there's, um, if there's been harm or damage done to somebody. So they, they would presumably, um, if I have a, you know, I, I have a, I actually have a, uh, an, I have an upstairs balcony, uh, and, uh, in my house and, um, I have a railing around it, but if I didn't have a railing around it and there were people in my house and we were having a party and somebody fell off and, um, got hurt or died, um, then you really would have, um, the civil magistrate would have the right to come in and see what happened and check my house, um, and hold me liable for that negligence. Um, but, um, but what you're, you're absolutely right. The, the principle there though, is, is that, um, punitive justice means that the civil magistrate, again, this goes back to the job that God has given the civil magistrate. His job is to punish evildoers. Um, it seems that the most he could do is put some in, in terms of prevention, he can put laws on the books that would provide, you know, that say you need to do this. You should have a fence around your swimming pool, but he doesn't have the authority to come out and check and see if I've done it. He only has the authority to check and see if I've done it if something bad has happened because his job is to punish criminals. Or if somebody accuses me of doing something bad and I didn't do it, you know, I didn't do it, I, you know, he, someone could accuse me of, of negligent and he could, I, I, he could come out and say, oh, no, but he's got a fence. Um, but it's not, co- um, not constant inspections, um, uh, not, uh, you know, regulations and fines, which is what we live in. If you, if you, uh, you know, build a house these days and many counties and states, you find out just how a tyrannical of a state we live in, a police state we live in, that, you know, you do not have the right to do what you want on your private property unless you you pay thousands of dollars and get inspections and permits from your local county and cities. Um, that's, um, that's wicked. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that, that's um, against God's word. It's, it would be fine, in my view, biblically, for the county to have basic law codes that they said this is um, you know this require this is for health and fire hazard safety um, that was reasonable, but then they don't ha- they shouldn't have any authority though to check and see if I did it mm. unless something bad happens right and then if something if if, if a crime is suspected that has occurred then sure they can inspect and see did I take reasonable precautions to protect life or not mm-hmm. um, but that um, ought to be based on um, biblical law. And um, common sense, not, um, you know, you have to have studs, uh, you know, 16 inches apart. And, right. You know, uh, it, you know I, I had a, as we were building our house, I had an inspector tell me that um, in a small uh, closet bathroom that my, my toilet was too close to the sink. Mm-hmm. And we had to tear out a wall and redo the bathroom. 
um, you know, because it was only like 25 inches away or something like that. And code said 30 inches. Um, but uh, you know, that's, that's, um, that's called living in a police state. That's tyranny. Yeah. And it's tyranny and it's not freedom. And I don't, I think we've just gotten used to it and we, you know, we've just sort of said, all right. Um, I, I, you know, and this is how Joel, I'm sure you know this connection, but this is how we end up with mask mandates and vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been, uh, complying with preventative law for decades in this country. Mm-hmm. We've been complying with it, even though the state doesn't have authority to do it from God. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been acting like tyrants from de- for decades, doing inspections, doing preventative stuff, saying you have to do this. And the, and the defense is, well, something bad might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they, they don't have that authority from God. They don't have that authority um, from uh, natural law or common law. Um, they have the they have the authority to punish when crimes have actually occurred, um, yeah. and um, and but if you don't if you let that keep going, you end up with them saying, well, um, a mask might help prevent losing life, mm-hmm. and you you don't have anything to say back to that. And then if two you, years you, later, they say, whoops, yeah, I guess right. it, it didn't help. Yeah, well, I don't know if you even know if they've completely admitted. The CDC that has said that uh, not with it in ninety five, but like they, but they have said any right. cloth mask. Uh, a CDC member said was a yeah. facial decoration. It turns out did no good. Right. After and two until, years until they changed their mind again. Right. Uh, but you know, but this is also why, you know, you have to get a vaccine. You have to, you know, they're, right. they're yeah, invading yeah. our, our private, our private property and our family government, which is what that is that we've mm-hmm. talked about the family government previously. It's the family government's job um, to protect private prop to, to um, do what we want on our own private property to protect um, the, a health and welfare and education of those that God has entrusted to us. It's not the state's job, but you, we've been acquiescing for decades on this. And then when they come and say, well, now you need to have this a thing on your face or you need to get this jab. Um, you know, it, 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 we lost the argument decades ago mm-hmm. because we did not guard the distinction between preventative and punitive justice. That's super helpful. Uh, one thing I want to say about uh, just on that point, and then I have another question, but punitive and preventative, I think it's also helpful Um that the listener understand that um, punitive does have a preventative effect. So it's not going around policing, um, but, but when justice is, um, is administered swiftly, um, the rest shall stand in fear. And, and we see that even when it comes to uh, within the, the, uh, the sovereign sphere of the church that, um, you know, like, so first Timothy five, um, if an elder persists in sin, rebuke him publicly so that the rest shall stand in fear. And so uh, when justice is delayed, um, that actually causes... So what we see, what we ultimately see is is the exact, and is what we should expect as people rebel against the Lord, but we see the, the exact perversion, the exact opposite of what, what got it. So we have lots of policing, the preventative stuff, um, and then when crimes are actually committed, uh, justice is delayed. People sit on death row for decades, um, eating up taxpayer dollars, um, and, you know, and then people get slaps on the wrist, um, you know, and so blah, blah, blah. So if, if we actually punished criminals properly and swiftly, proportionally, um, impartially, all those things that the Bible says, um, then um, that you kill two birds with one stone. Number one, you don't need near as many government officials to carry out that ministry as you do to go around and spy on everybody um, and regulate everybody. If you just deal with actual crimes that have actually been committed, one, you can immediately have a smaller government. You want to fix the economy. Boom. Everybody pays less taxes, but we're, we're out of, out of inflation. Everything's immediately fixed there. And it is still preventative. 
if it's swift and proportional, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, um, somebody uh, kills somebody, and all of a sudden, um, that person is being hung in the public square where we can all see. Um, right. and, and that is just, and that is good, and that is right, and it curbs um, the, uh, the, the, the actions of the wicked. Um, so, is that, that's, so there is a preventative effect of punitive justice, and so it kills two birds with one stone uh, with a lot less government employees. And so praise God for that. His, his word is always good. Um, w- w- in addition to that, uh, can you talk to us about the lesser civil magistrates? So we talked about, uh, you know what, actually, before we get there real quick, um, jails. Talk yeah. to us about jails. Yeah, okay. Um, there are uh, hardly any of them in the Bible. And when and frequently when we find them, um, they're only used to lock up good guys. <laughs> Joseph, yeah. Daniel and his three friends, Paul. <laughs> wow, that's a good point. <laughs> good guys. Where, 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 are the, where do we see in the Bible an example of, you know, uh, a, a, an endorsement, a, help, a helpful endorsement of, of prisons or jails. Um, the closest thing I can I can think of is um, y- you have something vaguely um, uh, reminiscent in cities of refuge, um, but there they're not locked up in a cage. Um, a, a, a someone who has accidentally killed somebody, not mm-hmm. intentionally, but accidentally killed somebody who wants to flee from um, the um, the avenger. Um, the Blood Avenger, which was a form of punitive justice that God uh, regulated. And that was a family member, right? Yeah, a a near kinsman. So um, it's the same word, kinsman redeemer, that Mm. that, uh, Boaz is, Mm -hmm. for Blood Avenger. So a a near relative um, could, you know, um, do what Boaz does, marry a a widowed um, woman and raise up offspring for a a, a dead relative, um, or could also carry out justice um, if... um, uh, if, uh, if a family member was murdered wrongfully. Um, but God sort of regulated that allowance by saying, but if it was really an accident, you can flee to a city of refuge and you can remain there. Um, the elders of the city will inquire and confirm and make sure that it really was an accident and you're not a murderer who needs to be uh, held liable. Um, if they find that and there's concern for your life, you can remain in the city until the high priest dies and your life will be safe there. But again, you weren't locked up in a cage and it was not for actually a crime you committed. It was to protect you from the blood avenger. Um, Otherwise, I think the only other use I can think of that is sort of reasoning by sort of good and necessary consequence would be, I think um, it certainly would be reasonable to hold a murderer while they're having a trial um, or other dangerous violent criminal, a rapist or something like that. I think a, a temporary holding cell seems reasonable while they're awaiting trial. But again, back to your point, if we're following biblical rules of justice, um, the trials should be um, fair, judicious, but also relatively swift. And then the penalty should be carried out swiftly, not um, uh, taking decades um, and so forth. So um, the, the, the issue, the problem though, is, is that um, we have um, rejected um, biblical restitution. So basically um, the Bible uh, there's um, there's death penalty for capital punishment, ca- uh, capital crimes, um, uh, capital murder, and um, and I would say um, other violent crimes uh, like rape um, would um, commonly be uh, taken care of by execution. Um, other crimes, um, as mentioned in the catechism, um, uh, like adultery, uh, like sodomy, uh, like persistent uh, rebellion 
um, and criminal behavior um, may rise to capital crime level, um, but are not required in, in, in my view. And, and defense for that would be that in uh, some instances in the Kings, um, the Kings um, exiled homosexuals um, rather than um, putting them to death. Hmm. Um, and so I would allow for exile in some respects, but again, that's not putting somebody in a cage, right? It's sending them away out of the land, banning them from the land. Yeah. And you're um, not, you're not having to pay to feed them. Exactly. They're, they still have to support we, themselves. We punish the, the innocent in our right. culture, in our yeah. society. And, and, the, and the last category, most other crimes that are like property damage and, and, um, and maybe, you know, heart, you know, somebody who gets hurt, not not killed, but somebody hurt. Um, most other crimes, theft, property damage, and and physical harm, um, God requires restitution. Um, he says basically, put it back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a it's a really glorious standard. It's this is actually based on the eye for eye, tooth for tooth um, principle. And um, and what restitution is is it's restoring um, what you took, damaged or harmed, um, and ordinarily plus double. Mm-hmm. So if you stole somebody's car, um, you have to return the car or the same value of the car. And what you intended to do to your brother is to be done to you. Mm. And so that same value or the same car is to be doubled and given to the brother. And then you're done. That's it. That's it. Um, and it's glorious also because it's so humane. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, moderns are so concerned about humane punishment and not, you know, not being inhumane or whatever. Right, right. Well, stop treating people like animals that's right stop locking them up in cages um for decades of their life with you know porn and cable tv and uh, surrounded by other gang members and like Mm -hmm. what could go wrong like it, it in the name of rehabilitation we are basically ensuring that they will continue to act and live like animals for the rest of their life which is i believe incredibly inhumane in, in addition to being just directly rebellious against God. And people um, don't think about that, but it, it is far, it, 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 it attributes far more dignity to the criminal um, to, yes, to publicly yes. beat him with rods um, yeah. based off of his crime than to put him in jail for 12 years. Yeah, put, put it right, make it right, do the thing that needs to be done, whether it's a, there is, there is permission for beating um, and restitution. Um, right, uh, restitution in terms of damage and theft and those kind of things. But I, I'm thinking like if if there was assault or something like that, like there would be some things where sure. it's it's not so much just um, you're and it's never paying a fine. The state doesn't get paid because right. you rob someone else. Why does the state benefit from no, <laughs> this absolutely. person was robbed? They they should benefit. It's evil incentives. Yeah, I mean the, the state is sort of it's created a racket where they're like we get paid, we get money. Right through this wicked criminal justice system, rather than what it should be, which is pay the person you harmed, put put it right with them. There's they when a crime has been committed, it has not been committed against society. Hmm. No, it's been committed against a person, a family, and that's who needs you need to make it right with them. Which is also also in a glorious kind of way when we follow these principles. There's an opportunity there for some measure of reconciliation. When you when you put it right, mm. um, rather than just being locked away, and now my tax dollars, maybe I'm the victim. Now my tax dollars are going to support this guy locked away, treated like an animal, and um, chances of reconciliation are slim to nothing. You know, we hear the occasional story about somebody forgiving somebody, and 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 that's glorious. But I think that's we would see a lot more of that when the guy has to bring back what he stole plus double, and um, and it's personal, mm. and you receive it. 
And I think we would see a lot more healing. We talk about, you know, our society being so, um, having so much animosity and so much brokenness, but I think we are creating the animosity by our prison system. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we need to return to just basic restitution, put it back. It's double ordinarily. Um, this is also, um, uh, um, the law actually allows for if if a criminal repents, um, if they're before they're caught, before the cops catch them, if a criminal repents and brings back what they stole or admits that they damaged something, the restitution's actually tr it's cut, mm -hmm. um, and what you bring is you return what you stole plus only twenty percent of the value, oh, a wow. fifth of the value, um, and so this I, you know Christians need to know about this because some Christians have actually committed crimes in their lives. Um, maybe you never got caught, or maybe it happened before you were a Christian. Um, maybe as a kid you stole something, um, and you've sort of always been, it's always eaten at you. Well, God tells you what to do. Return mm -hmm. the value plus 20%. Wow. Um, if, it, if it was a long time ago, take into account some inflation, <laughs> add, that, add that to the 20%, um, add that to the value, but, um, but that's what you're supposed to do. And then the law actually says that if you can't find the person that you stole from, if you can't find them, if the you know if you stole from a store and the store is closed down, or you know there's a, a, a it happened to you know in elementary school and you have no idea where you know um, the the kid is that you you know you stole his bike or you stole his shirt or whatever, um, the the law says to give it give it as an offering to the Lord and it will be accepted. Wow. So you can do restitution even then and just give it to the Lord and the Lord says it's all taken care of. Um, you've done restitution. It's it um it it this is restorative. Right. Um, but it's, you know, it, it just puts the thing back um, and um, that, that has been broken. Hmm. That's good. Um, well, one other thing with that. So in terms of double restitution, if the thief steals, sometimes the thief steals because he doesn't have much and that's no excuse, but because he doesn't have much. And I can imagine cases where he could not then afford to give the double restitution if he was caught. Um, mm -hmm. So is this where uh, a form of indentured servanthood would come in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so the assumption is, and it, and it's provided for in Scripture that if you yeah, if you can't pay the debt, then you work it off. And right. again, this is incredibly humane. Right. What, what we are doing is we are dignifying uh, a human being um, with saying um, what you have done was wrong. You have moral agency, but because you're made in the image of God, you have the power and the ability to put this right. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to put it right, even if it takes you some years of working off this debt. Yep. Um, so absolutely. Um, and, you know, remember, of course, um, we never have abolished slavery in our country completely. Right. Yeah. The, um, the, back to the prison system, the 13th Amendment explicitly says that only the federal government can have slaves. Hmm. Only the state can have slaves. Hmm. In the 13th Amendment, the, the, the government, the civil government said, we can be, we can be slave masters of criminals. Mm -hmm. And that's what the penitentiary is. That's what, the, yep. that's what the prison system is. It's a mass form of slavery. And they take and, them uh, out and they, you see them doing ro road work and things like that, but, not, but they're not doing something uh, for the individual that they actually committed the crime against. That individual right. is getting no, no restitution. They're going right. out and doing things for the state. Right. But a... a uh, it, it, I think it just goes to show that there, some form of servitude, some form of slavery is inescapable. Right. Um, the only question is, is are we going to follow biblical principles or not? Mm -hmm. um, but in the case of a, yeah, an indentured servant who is working off a debt, um, we are dignifying that human being with the opportunity to work it off, put it right. And then they walk away 
with a certain kind of human, and I mean this in the in a good sense, but like a certain amount of pride right. in, in saying, I did something wrong and then I put it right. Rather than wasting away in a cell where maybe mm -hmm. you occasionally pick up trash on the side of the road, um, but there's no sense of closure there. There's no sense of I, I did something wrong and then I put it right and now I'm, I'm back on my two feet. Yep. All right. Last thing, when it comes to, that's so good, Toby. Thank you. When it comes to righteous civil disobedience, okay, the, the clearest thing that we have, you know, like the apostles, um, you know, um, it, you know, we must obey God rather than man. So, so we would all, I think, just about agree, I guess, you know, it's taken two years of learning this to get here, but I think most Christians would agree, okay, when the civil magistrate uh, commands us to do something God forbids or forbids us to do something that God commands. So we see both examples super clear in the book of Daniel, uh, the chapter yep. three, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're commanded um, to bow down, to commit idolatry, and uh, they refuse. So they're commanded to do something God forbid. Um, Daniel chapter six, right? The, the edict on prayer, right? It's, and it's only temporary, right. 30 days to slow the spread of prayer, you know, and, uh, you know, and, like, if people would just, you know, just 30 days to slow the spread, you know, and, and yep. then, and then the, the government will let up. Um, right. but during that, and that was universal, it didn't just affect Christians. It was, um, it was, you cannot pray to any God or petition any man. So the atheist and agnostic were right there. It was universal. Um, but, right. but, but, uh, wrongful laws from the civil magistrate always affect Christians the most because uh, we're the ones who our law is the law of liberty. So Christians mm. always, I think, suffer the most. Um, but anyways, the point is, uh, Daniel chapter 6, um, there's something God commands, namely prayer, and the civil magistrate is forbidding. So whenever the civil magistrate commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, we must obey God rather than man. But right. when it comes to um, being overtaxed or when it comes to wearing a mask, right, or when it comes to um, these kinds of things, right, so the, the infamous uh, example would be Todd Friel with the pinwheels on the side of your head, right? And I, and I think yep. Todd Friel was um, very stupid with that. And I think what you're saying in, in your catechism is that if the civil magistrate commands pinwheels on the side of your head, uh, that's not something that God forbids. And so you may... And I think that's key. You're saying you may submit to that. And if you're an idiot like Todd Friel on this matter, um, then you will submit to it. Um, but Todd Friel, don't make that a commandment for all Christians. Uh, we may submit to it, um, but we don't have to submit to that. Um, and especially we don't have to submit to it if we're going to civilly disobey through the proper avenue of a lesser civil magistrate. And so again, back to sphere sovereignty, um, right? right? We can't, uh, vigil anti, uh, uh, being a vigil anti, we can't do that. So if, if somebody... If somebody um, uh, does something against me, I, I cannot, um, as, a, as a father within the sphere of the household, um, I can't hunt that person down in the middle of the night and, and try to, uh, to kill them in order to, um, that, that, that's a vigil ante, that I need to um, inform the state that you've got, got to go through the proper avenue. However, if the person, if they're an intruder in my home, they're standing in my home threatening my, my wife and children, um, I can shoot them in the head because now they're, they're in the sphere of, you know, that's a, a castle. I forget the law, but it, you know, we have it here in Texas. I'm sure you guys do in Idaho, but um, defending my castle. You know, I, I am a king in my castle. They're in my domain. They've stepped into my sphere, the household. And so I have authority there. And so uh, a husband uh, can't administer the sacraments to his children um, on, on a Tuesday afternoon, you know? Um, and so all these jurisdictions, um, all that said though, uh, when it comes to civil disobedience, uh, um, choosing to righteously civil, uh, um, righteous civil disobedience to something that the government is not forbidding something that God explicitly commands, and they're not commanding us to do something God explicitly uh, forbids. So the pinwheel example is a good one. Um, we can disobey, and it, it would be ideal for us to uh, disobey through a lesser civil, civil magistrate. So can you explain that to, to, to us, this doctrine of the lesser civil magistrate, going through the yeah. proper avenue? 
Right. Yeah. So, so um, I think the there the the what I'm saying is that when it's not um, expressly um, you know forbidden by God, what's being commanded, or it's not expressly commanded, what is being forbidden, um, then we we recognize that we are in area of wisdom. Um, there's a wisdom call there. And, um, and that means then, I think, being strategic. Um, use, use your, what we want to do is we want to maximize um, the glory of Christ. And I think sometimes that will mean submitting to stupid decrees um, because it's just clear that the way that, um, uh, you know, the gospel is going to go forth right now is submitting to some foolish things um, uh, so that um, I can have a, the maximum uh, punch for the gospel. I think other times um, uh, it'll be it'll be different. Like um, I, I use the example of Gideon, uh, who's hiding his uh, his uh, threshing in the wine press uh, from uh, the Midianite tax collectors. Um, that's again, I would use that as an example. He was free to do that. Um, he didn't have to submit to unlawful taxation. Um, in our day, I think it's um, pretty stupid to be a tax evader, um, <laughs> even if I do believe that the tax rates are unbiblical and wicked, um, and I do. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't see how you win in our day being a tax evader. But I, wouldn't, I, would, but I would say Gideon did it, which means I think that you can be um, and have a clean conscience. I'm just not sure it's smart. <laughs> right, right. I, I, I don't think you're going to win. Um, and at the, at the moment we have bigger fish to fry would be mm -hmm. my general encouragement. Like, you know, let's, let's resist tyranny. Um, let's get them to stop killing babies first. Yeah. Um, you know, let's reform the prison system. Um, you know, let, let's do some of these big heavy things. And maybe we, we, you know, completely, um, gut the civil government, like you said earlier, such that they don't need to have such high taxes. But we've been acquiescing for a long time, taking all these benefits, letting the state basically be our nanny. And then we suddenly object to high taxes. Um, but nevertheless, um, you know, the mask thing or other things like that, I would say um, you're, you're free to disobey um, because God doesn't require us to wear masks and we're free Christians. I also think we have the ad advantage of having a constitution that protects those rights and the constitution and our form of government is clear that the constitution is the highest government in our land, right. not um, judges, not governors, not county commissioners, not health districts. And so um, I think we can obey Romans 13 by submitting to the constitution and saying, you don't have authority over my body that way. Um, you don't have authority over my healthcare decisions. But um, to your question in particular, um, the, the way that God has intends for civil magistrates to be checked um, in its in in the in the mo in the cleanest way is through other civil magistrates. Mm -hmm. um, so all civil magistrates um, may have different roles, different jobs, uh, and we may even speak of it in some sense as a little bit of a hierarchy. Um, uh, but uh, but even lesser magistrates really are ordained by God to do justice. Right. So you may just be a sheriff, or you may be a mayor mm -hmm. uh, or a county commissioner. Or you might be Ron DeSantis pushing back on the president you, as a governor. Exactly. Or you may be a judge mm -hmm. or you may be a police officer. Uh, you may be any one of those things. But the point is, is that God establishes civil magistrates and he gives them jobs. And if you are a civil magistrate, even if you are a lesser one, mm -hmm. you have still been ordained by God to do justice. Right. And if the if the if the guy above you is doing injustice, you're the first one in line 
to hold that guy accountable. Hmm. Um, your job is to uphold biblical justice and protect the people under you. Right. Now, you still need to use wisdom there um, in terms of how you exercise that authority. Um, but in in the ideal world, um, uh, the way that, um, and this, is, this goes back to the reformers and just war theory, mm -hmm. um, but um, we would hold that um, uh, individuals, as you note, um, are not to be vigilantes, we're not to take justice into our own hands. And this is why um, Christians have held um, for centuries that it is not right for um, any individual to take matters into his own hands to try to get justice uh, or to revolt or to usurp um, lawful government, um, except an extreme, you know, self-defense as you, as you know, um, however, uh, it is, it is absolutely right and proper for lesser magistrates, um, those, uh, rulers. And, and we see this oftentimes in the judges, for example, where God raises up judges, um, and God uses them, um, to push back his enemies, mm -hmm. uh, and to defend um, justice and defend the poor. And so, um, so the, what you want to be praying for specifically right now, I would say in our day is godly lesser magistrates. Yes. Um, there's, there's low level ways in which I think, um, I would encourage Christians because of the constitution, because of the Bible, uh, we ought to feel free if, if the, um, you know, if, if the, if our city, uh, mayor reinstated some kind of, um, mask mandate, um, you know, I know confidently that um, my elders would meet the next week and say, we're going to church this Sunday and we will not enforce that decree. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, um, you know, my policy and my family was during uh, throughout um, uh, mask mandate season here um, was that we did not voluntarily put on masks. Um, and when we were asked, we would uh, or required to by somebody, we would um, determine at that moment whether uh, how big of a deal it was that we needed the service mm -hmm. uh, right. or, or goods that we were there right. to get. Sometimes we would walk out and say, no, thank you. Um, sometimes we might temporarily put it on because we needed to, uh, you know, get the goods or service. Yeah. Um, but the point being that we didn't, we wanted to actively lean against it. Um, and I, and I would encourage people to be doing that, but I think the prayer should be that God would be raising up um, godly uh, mayors, godly county co commissioners, godly representatives and senators and governors and attorney generals um, who will stand up for us because then we can stand behind them and submit to them mm -hmm. as they lead us in real freedom. Amen. Let me go ahead and conclude this episode by saying this. So what, what I hear you saying and, and kind of a general rule of thumb that I would offer to people is I like how you mentioned the constitution and it's the highest civil magistrate in, in our form of government. And by design, it's not a human official and it's not a living document. It is still, and, and it is sturdy and it's a document, not a human official. And it's the highest in our land. It is the highest law of our land. Um, but the reason why I think it's helpful, um, everything that we went through and that you went over is because sometimes, you know, people think, well, but, what about the Christian in North Korea? What about the Christian in China? And the beauty of this, um, we can't merely, my point is we can't merely argue from the position of, well, the constitution gives us this freedom. Um, we, we want to have a theology, good biblical theology helps people in all times and all places. And, um, and so if you're living, you know, even in uh, under uh, tyranny and an authoritarian, you know, 
government with a dictator, you know, you know, um, or a communist uh, government, um, even in that society, number one, uh, you have freedom from the scripture, which is the highest authority over all kings and kingdoms. You have uh, authority from the scripture to, um, to, to, you don't have to do if, if the, if your ruler is, is commanding you to do something God forbids, you can say no. If he's forbidding you to do something God commands, you can say no. And when it comes to everything in between, um, then you can, uh, not, not as a church, not as a family, not as an individual, not as a church, um, storm the castle and resist, but you can pray that God would raise up Christian civil, less civil magistrates uh, within that government that you can get behind them and in that avenue go for it and in america uh, so that's you know china or something like that but in america uh, we can exercise what i hear you saying toby correct me if i'm wrong but we can exercise the doctrine of the lesser civil magistrate uh, but we can also frequently take use of the doctrine of <laughs> i haven't heard anybody say this but you could maybe coin it the doctrine of the higher the highest magistrate um, being the, the constitution in most cases i don't even feel like i I have to find a governor or a mayor or a police officer or a sheriff to rally behind. Um, in, in many cases, because of the we were, uh, you know, an, a Christian nation currently apostatizing, but because of our founding, I can just go not to find a lesser one to to push back on on uh, this tyrant, but I can uh, supersede him and go straight to the highest civil magistrate, um, namely the Constitution, and say, um, you, you don't have that authority. You don't have that authority. I don't even need to find a mayor or what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think we're free to do that. The issue though, is just that we have to be willing to take the consequences that we might not win. We might not win. Right. So, yeah. and I, and I think yeah, the right. Bible yeah. does urge us to be wise. Uh-huh. And, and so I think there are times, um, to resist, um, and take the consequences. Um, and there are times maybe to not resist because you realize that it's just not the moment. So right. there are th- forms of tyranny that we may submit to because they don't forbid us from doing something God commands. Oh. They don't command us to do something God forbids. So we may, three options, we may submit or we may disobey, righteously disobey by executing the, the constitution in America, the highest civil magistrate, but know that we might not win. And so we'd be best to disobey with the lesser and the highest, uh, like right. appealing to the constitution, but also with that lesser civil magistrate in our court helping us along the way i mean and so this is this is exactly what happened for for example in the american war for independence and the american war for independence um what the colonies appealed to was the colonial charters that king george had made with them and his predecessors he signed agreements with them guaranteeing them colonial rights that they they had their own forms of local government and it was those local governments for example that had the authority to tax them Mm. and they had but according to those charters, Parliament did not have authority to tax them. Mm. Parliament could ask their local governments for the for helping them to tax them. But what Parliament did was it sidestepped their local governments and said, we're going to tax you directly. Wow. And, and what they did was they, they appealed to the charter, the covenants that the King of England had guaranteed to them, that, uh, that guaranteed them local magistrates. And so when they rebelled, it was those local magistrates that actually led in the rebellion and said, we, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, it was lesser magistrates telling an, a superior magistrate, the king, that he had broken covenant with them, and therefore they were declaring themselves independent. Um, now, even in that situation, of course, they were taking a massive risk. 
Mm-hmm. And they say that at the end of the Declaration of Independence. We, we, we swear to one another our fealty, knowing that our lives are at stake in this. They, would all, they were all going to either, um, they, you know, they were going to hang together if they, you know, if, if they, um, if they lost. Right. Um, but it's, um, but certainly the, the weight of biblical and, um, and just human wisdom would urge us to, um, you know, do everything we can to make our resistance as strategic as possible. And, and I would say even to the person in China who doesn't have the constitution, you do have the word of God. Right. And, um, and to the extent that you can get away with civil disobedience, I would say feel free. Yep. Amen. <laughs> you're, uh, under God, you're free to. You just need to recognize that, you know, if you get caught, you know, um, count the cost. Count is, the cost. You know, wh- what level is this? Mm-hmm. Super helpful. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com slash offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com slash offer. And thank you for your generous support.